0: my heart is a flame that is arising and like my being is like, it's like steam coming off of a teacup right now. That feeling, that glorious, beautiful feeling of being in tune with presence and the abundance and having your heart and mind connected. That's what I wanted to come through this book because I feel like that feeling is what someone needs to be able to really work these ideas into their life.
1: Greetings, Future Fossils. This is Michael Garfield welcoming you to another episode of the podcast that explores our place in time. This week's return guest, Corey Allen, who some of you may remember from way back in the dawn age of Future Fossils, episode 16, has just released a fabulous book on Tarcher Perigee, Now Is The Way, An Unconventional Approach to Modern Mindfulness. And while I suspect that the use of the word unconventional in the subtitle of this book is a marketing ploy, the fact of it is that this is a really excellent text about what are very time-honored, transculturally-tested techniques for becoming more aware and, by extension, more at home in one's life. I've been on Corey's show a few times also, So if you look up the show notes, you'll find links to every appearance of his on Future Fossils and every appearance of mine on his show, The Astral Hustle. But just as every moment is a fresh opportunity for a renewed encounter with the mystery of our world, so too is this a fresh and standalone discussion about what sets Corey's work apart from the countless other mindfulness proponents throughout history. His own relationship to time, biography, identity, his thoughts on music. And I think music plays a really valuable role in this discussion as a working metaphor for a myriad of different relationships to time and the present. And, you know, as someone who's known Corey for a while and has witnessed his initiation as an author from the cheap seats over here. I'd like to acknowledge and bear witness to a remarkable development and evolution in character that I've seen him go through over the last few years. And I think that this book really exemplifies how much more deeply he has become anchored in his heart and in his practice since we have met one another and uh, so it's a real treat to bring this episode to you but first I want to thank from the depths of my being everyone who is supporting this show on Patreon that includes new patrons Mark Haberlin, Simon Buck, Andy Filipiak, Zane and Brian as well as David Campbell, who raised his pledge this month. I will continue doing everything I can to reward and express my gratitude to everybody who is supporting the show. Within the last couple weeks, I've put out secret episodes, I've put out exclusive music, I am preparing to drop a bunch of extra goodies on everyone as well. Regular support of Future Fossils to the tune of two, five, ten bucks a month is basically what keeps this show alive in spite of the fact that I have no free time anymore. (laughs) And that lately with all of the changes that have been going on in my life, I've had to jettison a lot of the person I used to be and the things that I used to do in order to accommodate a new job and a new child. And this show is something I really, really desperately do not wish to have to lay down It's more obvious to me how these conversations benefit other people, often people I haven't ever met. It's a lot more clear cut than some of the other loose threads in my life that this one deserves to continue being braided into that great tapestry that we're all involved in. So anyway, if you listen to this show and you've been thinking about taking the plunge uh that makes it sound a lot more intense and dramatic than it actually is if you've been thinking about supporting the show at all now's your time thank you so much and i remain open to everyone's feedback your thoughts concerns criticisms requests for this show because it's not just my show it's it's our show i feel very much in service to everyone here in this work so feel free to write to me futurefossilspodcast at gmail.com or join the Facebook discussion group we have about 2,000 people in there and there's always cool interesting stuff getting shared and it's a real honor to facilitate those discussions also and with that I release you into the now the wow of now with Corey Allen discussing meditation and music And the profound spiritual practice of coming home to that which you thought you had transcended. It's a great discussion. I'm glad I get to share it with you. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week. Let's just dive into it.
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: I want to start where... You know, by, by pouring one on the ground for what Future Fossils claims to be about, right, which is, <laughs> I, I, I like, frankly, I didn't go back and listen to our first recording uh, to prepare for this. But I do remember there being a, uh, a playful challenge issued to the idea of at all living in the past or the future. And given that your book makes it very clear that now is the way. I think it's important to make a distinction about, and as you do in this book, about the quality, the duration, the depth, the the breadth of now, and how given that you and I agree that past and future are basically just concepts that arise in the endless open sky of original awareness, I I'm, I'm curious just to like, I'll let you wax on the now and how you imagine past and future might fit in there. and what what specifically are the qualities of the now that you are attempting to direct people's attention into with this this work and its attendant practices?
0: Yeah, well, first off, just thank you for actually reading the book. I very much appreciate that. I know it's tough to get around to books. And as a podcast host, there are many that come flying your way, I have no doubt. And then even before that, first, and then whatever's before one, uh, what's kind of wild is that you said, you know, you want to pull one out for the name of the podcast, because of our initial conversation, and then so forth. But what's funny is that by uh talking about that then and having that initial challenge about how there is no future or past and there's only nowness and then that arising now means that the actual idea of the future fossils concept in the beginning was just played out yeah so we both we both did it <laughs> they coexisted we did, we made the future and the now coexist oh it just took four years for it to all come back around and connect to itself i hope that makes sense uh, <laughs> um so as far as the the nowness goes and what i'm directing people towards you know there's a uh as as you well know you know there's just a, a rich depth to conscious awareness and experience and Any of those moments in life where you feel an individual feels tapped in to where all things feel synchronous and the water just turned up, you feel that everything is in its right place, you feel connected, you feel well and optimistic and just that full bursting sensation of what I think a lot of people tend to label something like bliss or feeling home or feeling grace or something like that. I discovered along the way that, like, that feeling, that, that sensation of present awareness and the connection with the arising of your consciousness and it feeding forward into life, into the world, and then the world feeding back into you and so on, and just being in that sink, that that is available to all of us all the time. And it's waiting for us. It's sort of like if you think about in a lot of ways, like, if you were to take a psychedelic journey and people think, wow, that's a far out space, man, to be in. But that space is always there. It's just a click on the radio knob of your mind, one level, one station over. But that ecosystem is always right. It's a layer of universe and reality that is always happening. We're just not tuned into it. And I think that I know for a fact that now is the same way. Presence, that that abundance of the richness, feeling of being alive is available to us. We just have to continue to remember it, direct our focus to it, and then learn the tools and the practices that we can use to return to that space. Because the more that we can be in that space, oddly, the more that we actually are able to author our future and are and are able to shape what will come next. Because if you're not present-minded, uh, if you're lost in a, a reverberation, a re- this endless momentum of distraction where due to often to technology or just the complexity of our modern world, we are often fragmented with our attention being pulled in every single direction. We're away from ourselves and we end up getting into this habit of just reacting based on our programming, based on our past experiences and we you know, rarely take a moment to pull our heads up from below the water and say, wait a second, I'm just like – I'm being an echo right now. I'm just echoing out my history in aimlessly into the future. And whenever you begin to reel yourself back into the present – you are able to begin responding to your life instead of reacting to it. You begin to have an agency. You begin to be able to set your intention and follow that intention through in the things that you say and the things that you do, how you treat other people and how you build the pathway for yourself for which you will walk into the future. So by being more present, by existing with a higher self-awareness and a deeper connection to what is – You are able to walk forward into what you want to be.
1: Mm. You know, listening to what you just said, or rather sitting with the neuronal residue of something that I remember as being something you just said right now. One thing I'm noticing in both your writing and in this conversation is this tension between presence between you know a deepening awareness mindfulness of of that which is and a also a sense that this is a presence for something you know that you spend a lot of time in this book looking at habit formation and encouraging the formation of healthy beneficial habits and yet that's a tension between this I mean, it it seems as though that's like a ladder from people's anxious, goal-oriented way of navigating the world uh, and into something else. But like, I'm, I'm reminded of years ago when Duncan Trussell was on Joe Rogan talking about yoga class and how a lot of people come to yoga for the first time because they want to see butts and then it becomes something else you know and i think i think actually you and i have talked about this and about skillful means and about how the goals change um and you know the the motivation for practice changes as one deepens in practice but i'd love to hear you speak to the to the simple fact that this is a book for people um people interested in achieving results and and how that tension manifests for you and and in the way that you approach this you know the delivery of these insights
0: yeah i mean i think that um the reason why i think that habit formation and those type of uh, different practices are, are really useful is because um they're setting you up with a scaffolding for Your future, essentially. And so much of what we experience is based upon our, you know, quote unquote instincts or just our behavioral patterns. And a part of increasing self awareness is recognizing how you can make those behavioral patterns uh, be shaped like what something that you want, you know? And so instead of just being chaotic and whatever and having no real. Uh, As you said, no like ladder to to crawl up into the future. I think that by creating a good foundation, what you're doing is setting yourself up for, for success. And in my experience, those things grow into who you are. It's just like someone if they're, you know, I suppose if you have never exercised before and then you start going on walks every night or something very simple like that. And you realize, oh, this feels pretty good. And maybe the first month or something, it's a thing where you have to remember like, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and just go another walk. I've been feeling better, go on another one. It's nice outside and then you know uh, several months go by and well going on walks at night just becomes a part of what you are and who you do so by building some of those good constructive habits into your life with intention you can then mold them into what you eventually can become into the future and it's an interesting way to like link these modifications of a deeper part of yourself in the sense of that ingrained inherent michaelness can can be shifted and molded. I think through doing that.
1: You know, there's uh, I in that gap there. Uh, I, I mentioned that it seems that this book fits into a genre, and the last book that I read in this genre many many years ago was Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now, and uh, there is a, a pretty significant difference between that book and this book and the the difference is cell phones. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so, you know, there's another slice, another angle to the conversation around time and attention that I, we can take here. And I think that that angle is you address in great depth and very articulately in this book, the, the way that as you were talking about, you mentioned it just a moment ago as the chaos the chaos is our as i understand it our attention restricted in its temporal horizon that we lose the ability to notice to detect and to steer the patterns of our lives and i, I you know I, I i don't know that i'm asking for uh, an elaboration on on this stuff from your book but i'm just curious what you think about How, you know, over the last 10, 15 years that you and I have been coming up in this world, there was a lot of talk about the acceleration of things, but then there's also this sense that the digital extends our sense of history and and futurity. And there's a subjective quality to the passage of time that seems to be both speeding up and slowing down. And I'm curious how you feel that that starting a practice in this kind of a transitional moment historically is different than it would, it would have been for someone like when you started meditating, mm. or, you know, or how you imagine it might be different when we're sort of even more deeply embedded in this technological surround.
0: Yeah, that's a great thought, man. And it is it is true. And that's one of the things that you know, people have asked me a lot about is like, well, what makes this modern? I'm like, well, you, and you just nailed it right there. It's like I'm addressing... What it means, you know, a lot of the great works uh, about this type of thing, this genre, you know, something like uh, Be Here Now or or Power of Now or whatever. Those books are – Alan Alan Watts addresses some of this stuff. Like, those books are 20 to 50 to 60 years old, you know. And so, what makes it modern is, as you said, I'm talking about this stuff and what it means to be a person alive today and how to deal with these new problems that over that last 10 or 15 years – you know along with the evolution of technology has come the evolution of all of these new problems that have come come from them and whenever i started meditating it was very like you know i figured it out and learned it out of books that i read and compiled many many different sources of information many different techniques and styles and tried them out but that was before youtube that was you know i was a teenager that was before the internet was really even popping to to any degree um, in the 90s i mean it was there but it wasn't like anything like it is now and so ultimately i think that to your question, today in this modern world, the the issue is that now people really, they have a lot more excavation to do from the start. You know, there's a lot more uh, tense issue and, and soil that's been poured on top of the standard human condition package that you have to work with. Um, it's one of the reasons I just, I found it important to focus on this stuff, you know, and the anxiety issue, the depression issues that come from all of this, like technology is incredible. It's, it's unbelievable. It's like beyond magic, right? It seems impossible. Like what we are living through right now with the growth of technology, But with that, with the growth of anything, you know, like any battery to have energy, it needs a positive and a negative side. And unfortunately, the the negative side of this immense digital connectivity and resource of information, as you said, time, space, genre, everything has just collapsed. It's all been smashed into essentially a singularity of data. Because you even just look at something like music, like back in the day, it was like, okay, well, you want to hear a new album, you wait till the release day, then you go out and buy a, a record or a CD or something like that. And then you listen to that one for, oh, cool, I got a new CD or a new record. And you listen to that from whatever the artist is that you discovered because they are, you know, you encountered them because of your friends or something like that at a certain time in your life, where now it's like, oh, I can hear you know some funk music from lagos from like 1970 instantly that like that would have been trapped in space and time like that would have been trapped in africa in the 1970s on like a 100 acetate lps or whatever that were or or the master 2 inch tapes something and no one would have ever really heard that very much but now it's like okay You can just zap to then and there and listen to that within five seconds of having the idea to even listen to that. It's insane, right? So if you look at the fact that all information relatively has been smashed and collapsed and just everything is just this infinite stream of of happening. Yeah, man, it's it's incredible. But what it does is it really rocks our experience and like our understanding and how we can relate to what we're even experiencing like where is our space and time what is our moment well it's transitory it's like well that's true but no one has read all the philosophy to prepare themselves to deal with that truth right and so it's like that's one of the great insights i had from my podcast was like i started talking about the challenges and just kind of human condition experiences that i had growing up and i had so many people listeners hitting me back and saying like man i'm experiencing this too i'm experiencing this and it made me realize like oh wow these are universal human experiences and i i never thought that so many people like ha- dealt with the ideas of something like meaning or like finding that space where you wake up to realizing like okay everything is infinity and i have this this uh subjective agency amidst the ca- self-organizing chaos of being so if that's the case then like what is good and bad and like what has purpose like all those type of questions that i went through a lot of hell i call my existential paralysis mm-hmm. you know phase and i just heard the you know so many people hitting me up saying i'm in that now or i went through that and it made me realize like oh wow People are being, because of technology, people are being shoved into those predicaments without any of the language, any of the context, any of even the idea that that's what they're dealing with, but it is. And so um, it's a bizarre time. I I think that um, if you look at the evolution of philosophy and just kind of culture side by side, you think about, okay, so in the, you know, you know, mid you know, 1950s 60s 70s whatever you have a real big uh sur- resurgence of kind of postmodernism and whatnot And that stuff was all great at the time. You know, you have someone like Derrida or Jean-Paul Sartre or someone like that saying, like, okay, yeah, everything is subjective. There is no meaning. You know, you have Camus saying essentially, like, fuck it, like nothing matters. Do whatever you're going to do. You know what I mean? And um, like that's a, a necessary place to get to. Um, but the issue is that, like any discipline, you have to keep learning, keep integrating, keep flowing, and like, okay, well, what is the next step? And there is uh, that I think that that shattering of whenever the kind of the seismic waves of postmodernism flowed into culture. And finally, then, as the internet arose, it did this weird harmonic, had this weird harmonic result by those two things interacting because now you've got, people looking into their laptops into their phones or whatever i love as you put it the glass age you know we're in the glass age and people are seeing this they're in this echo chamber of their own bias and one of the the scary existential monsters that's being you know uh, so the surprising people is that like you you really for the first time in history get a a truer sense of just how many people exist because you know what I mean? Like go to, go to YouTube, go to Reddit, go to Twitter. It's like this, there's millions and millions of comments that you can see. And it's like, Whoa, I am one of like, not, you know, I had the idea, the concept that I was one of, of billions of people, but now here's all of their thoughts. And most of the cute individualistic things I thought I thought of, someone posted about this on Reddit in 2012. Like you know, this is uh, like what's happening, right? So that really gives people that – you know, th- those type of vibes and, and, th- and forced awareness that's arising in people – mixed with this postmodern hangover that everyone that's kind of out there in the in the world makes it where people are very challenged they're like okay i'm insignificant in quotes and nothing matters and we're just in, you know, this blue marble in the middle of infinity, like, what the fuck? How could I not be anxious and depressed? And that's why someone like Jordan Peterson skyrocketed to fame, because he came around and said, no, postmodernism is bullshit, and you have to find meaning. And that's why his whole thing was purpose and meaning and and discipline. And now he was trying to correct postmodernism, and that's why I think that he became so popular. So. Um, Yeah, we're in a weird, weird time. And so people are starting there, you know what I mean? And so the fact that I was starting with just general environmental and spiritual suffering in the 90s and in working, you know, meditation was really useful to me to work through my traumatic experiences to begin to connect my heart mind to my monkey mind and all and begin to learn how to deconstruct my suffering to walk into a future that was more peaceful and, and heart forward in the way that I knew it was possible. But you know, nowadays people are starting with all this other stuff piled on top and I think it's really important to have conversations like this and and uh you know things like that to help people realize what they're dealing with nowadays.
1: Yeah, you Make a, a a mention in this at some point about how we're used to adding things. I don't know if I can find this page, but you talk about in your section on I think it was ditching the infinite to-do list. Mm. You talk about that abundance that we're surrounded by that normally our filters uh, occlude for us. You know that that we're we're in an era now where it's becoming more obvious uh, that that you'll never be able to answer all of your emails you'll never be able to meet all of your potential lovers etc and when i read this it reads like our historical condition is that we're in a kind of bardo you know to borrow that <laughs> term from the tibetan book of the dead yeah that, that we're in a space in which like you're just describing everything is happening at once and one of the characteristics, uh, and one of the reasons that that book was was picked up by Leary and and uh, Albert and Metzner mm-hmm. and made into you know the psychedelic experience, I think it's like well the effect that this electronic surround is having on us is a lot like a psychedelic experience where, like you say in this book, actually it sometimes it's good. To uh, subtract rather than to add and even though you just just described this as us adding something on top What what I've noticed is that the more the, the more vivid and uh, Intense our sensory experiences or our mental experiences The less room there is for the for me, you know There less room mm-hmm. there is for a consistent stable narrative structure for a, a guy who has these qualities and not these other qualities, and and so, you know, I'm curious. Uh, it's, I feel like, it may just be because of the functional nature of this book, because of of the intended reader, and uh, you know, not wanting to scare someone in the first like 20 minutes of their acid trip with <laughs> talk of non-duality <laughs> and so on. But I know, I know that as a as a committed meditation practitioner. You um, you know, you've got a, a pretty intimate relationship to the, the no-self uh-huh. that arises in these spaces. And I, and I don't know, I was just curious, you know, w- what you see around this conversation of rather than being stuff piled on top of us, it being a sort of groundless space where it's not like, you know, like Jordan Peterson provides like a little prince planet, you know, like a tiny little gravity well that... There just is not enough surface area for all of those Jordan Peterson fans, but, mm-hmm. but, but you know, groundlessness and selflessness are, are things that, again, to, to bring up that tension, I think that it seems as though there's a point, and maybe you're just leaving this for people to, to discover on their own, that there's a point at which the the goal-oriented, I'm going to be a better person thing kind of polishes off i don't know what do you what do you think when i talk about all this
0: yeah no well they're all you're you're really sniffing a lot of good sense there um i i totally am talking about the undoing from above ground to you with your ground touching the earth um as a as an approach I certainly, and I did, and actually in the previous manuscripts, I I ended with the undoing of the self, <laughs> and I realized that that was, I don't want to, my intention is never to scare people. I don't want to freak people out. All of like those, the thing you just mentioned, I believe that once people begin to go down this road, it will become apparent to them when they're ready, right? And so... Yes, saying it's a groundlessness is a, is a very good and very precise way to say it, in my opinion. But groundlessness suggests on a symbolic level to many people a, an idea of falling, an idea of instability, an idea of not having any connection to like other organic matter. And uh, it can feel disassociative or it can feel scary or whatever. And I really intend and, – and as I said, I, I wrote – intensely and complexly about this without any of the love really, uh, in one of the other versions of this book. Um, but once I got, once I wrote a version, which is basically exactly what you're asking about of the book, I realized that, Oh, this was from the mind and this is not what I want to, it doesn't serve the highest The the most high-minded approach to achieving what I want to achieve with this, it more serves my own Mm self-enamorment for the fact that I can articulate these very nebulous, challenging, hard-to-talk-about states uh, in a very convincing and detailed way. And so that's whenever I say that I may have even said this to you before, that that version of the manuscript was kind of bratty. That's what I mean, because it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, ooh, like how how cute I am that I can talk about this stuff and be fearless and whatever. But as fun as that might be, I think that a thing for me was whenever I, I really after I got done with that version. I realized that, oh, this is what I often hate in books is whenever something is so complex and so heavy that you have to already pretty much know everything in the book to even be able to really get into it when you read it. And it becomes this masturbation session for the author and a few other people who already have most of those ideas. It's like it offers perspectives on complexity that you know are different, perhaps, and that's about it. And whenever I... You know, through a consistent path of like being humbled by myself, by my own expectations, by my own ideas, by just external circumstances, and very, and of course, always just like scraping at the cavern of myself and my heart trying to get deeper into it all. I had this great realization of like what I'm trying to, ultimately, the kernel of what I'm trying to put through the book anyway. Um, is like the feeling I have that no state, that no mind feeling you're talking about, where it is like I am the and I, t- I touch on that, you know, in a subtle way in the, in the meditation practice I call the watcher in the book. Mm. Um, I, I do I do identify it so as to so that it isn't missing, but I don't make it scary. I try and talk about it in a positive way because it is a positive thing uh, eventually, you know. <laughs> um, but that feeling, whenever you're there with presence not necessarily of the awareness of the thinking of i am a michael Michael michaeling right now it's like i am here there is this agency and my heart is a flame that is arising and like my being is like it's like steam coming off of a teacup right now that feeling that glorious beautiful feeling of being in tune with presence and the abundance and having your heart and mind connected that's what i wanted to come through this book because i feel like that feeling is what someone needs. That's what a stranger needs to be able to really work these ideas into their life, open up to them, and actually begin to benefit from them. Because I, I don't want to talk about things, and I, I have so much in the past, I don't want to talk about things that are just dense and self-serving. Uh, I really want to make it where anybody can... Get they can feel less pain, man. They can feel less fear and they can start to feel comfortable in their skin and feel optimistic and figure out ways to, and you know, have the tools provided to them so that they can walk into their everyday normal life and have a better human experience and it took a lot of like shattering of my brattiness and like that part of my creative ego that feels like it's like fun to have the fireworks going off. like i know you love that as much maybe me, more than i do like you know it's like such a fun thing and it is fun but to me like what is the higher purpose i can serve here and you know i wouldn't say quote unquote higher purpose in a contrived way i, I genuinely mean that and I had kind of like what I call a a dumb insight, which was like, oh, if I want people to feel it, like I've got to feel it first. I've got to put myself there when I'm writing. So my practice for writing this version of the it's like, you know, if you're going to record a take with your guitar and it's all coming from the head. Like that's going to have a sound and you can mimic the emotive, note, you know, nature of what you're playing. you can got kind of pantomime it. But if you're feeling it, if you wake up one day or it's like three in the morning and you're deep in the zone and you go deep into that zone when you're playing your guitar and you're there with it, man flaws and all that take is gonna it's charged it's a static charge of soul and moment and michaelness is like coming through and you can't capture that all the time it's everything that has to be aligned to get that into the music that's why great songs last forever and like make us feel these amazing ways every time it's because the artist was there you know that's why like Dalí's paintings look crazy and make you you know look beautiful and and make you feel that surrealness because he was living in that, that world and, and so on. That's Hemingway makes you feel bold because he was a bold, drunk motherfucker, you know? And so I really wanted to put that heart mind into the book, man, because I feel like that's what I could do. And so I would meditate, I would, you know, do my morning routine, go running. I'd meditate for half an hour and then go straight into writing for like four or five, six hours every day because I just wanted to bring that afterglow into the pages and uh, really try and provide, you know, you know, kind of the – I don't know, man. I, I'm an optimist and I, you know, we've, I, I'm sure at some point you – know, you and I have talked so much over the years that I'm sure at some point I've mentioned my idea of the upside of impermanence. <laughs> it's like – All of the scary, waggly, gnashy, teethy things in our consciousness and in life, they all have a polarity. You know, like I was talking to Aubrey the other day and he was like, yeah, the only truth or something like that, that my one of my, you know, um, maestros or shamans told me back in the day was the only thing you can't fix is dead. And I was like, yeah, you can with birth. You know, it's like, there's always a, like, you know, I was like, joking about a supercut of like caskets closing and babies being born. It's like, that's how you fix death is that other th- people are born. Um, <laughs> and so like, there's always an upside to something. And so, you know, given like, for example, the idea of impermanence, like you can look at that and it can be scary. It's like everyone, you know, everyone you love and everything you like is going to die and, and de-evolve and, and rot into nothingness. But That's one way of looking at it. Isn't very pleasant if you have your emotions connected to that idea. But I look at it and I go, that's true. But for there to be things to always be decaying into nothingness, there must always be things coming into existence. And that's the upside of impermanence. It's like humans... People, we exist in the in the middle of between of of the upside and the downside of impermanence. We're we're coming and going at the same time. We're like that's what the happening is, right? And so I look, I choose to articulate those ideas of like selflessness, or the void, or oblivion, or any of those existential crises, any of those things that we all of us face or, or struggle with at some point from the mind of like the heart afterglow and the like. Hey. Okay, here's an issue, but here's the the smiling kind of positive way that we can deal with it and, you know, work through it and continue living without being decimated or seduced by our own ability to complexify uh, the human condition.
1: Do you still make music? You talk about how it used to be an obsession for you, but it was, you know, you it's in your backstory section where you're talking Mm -hmm. about what an angry fucker you used to be (laughs) and you know, how you were just like very cynical and, you know, kind of monomaniacal. And yet, I mean, I know that you, you know, that you continue to, to produce audio, but I'm listening to you talk about impermanence and about cycles of arising and decay and so on. um, I'm curious whether this is something that you still, you find in, in practice as a, as a musician even if just for yourself
0: yeah what's interesting is that like man i as i can write about and just as we have like personally talked about i I was so like literally ocd about creating music for so long um and at some point like whenever i'm the last album i made was probably six years ago like i the proper just album of mine and It was called the Source and like all of my music has always been a concept and I I just recently figured this out when I was talking about it, oddly enough, is that my music has come from comes from a conceptual place. Like there's a philosophical idea I want to express and then I come up with the way or the medium in which I want to express it. Like what instruments and what structures or compositional rules or techniques could I use to articulate that concept? And as the thing is like getting like the inchworm is is kind of half in and half out. When you start getting into the actual creation of the sounds, that is when the concept begins to arise externally, whatever the thing is I'm trying to express the idea That is then when I tune in the emotion that that concept, me seeing it in the world makes me feel. So it's a weird like feedback loop thing that starts to happen, right? So... I did that, like, expressing all these concepts over the course of, of 10 or 15 years musically. The last one was called The Source, which, of course, was all about, you know, the all. It's about tapping into that root consciousness, the finger of the divine that's coming up through the puppet of each of our bodies. <laughs> <Rar>. And uh, <laughs> what's that? I just said, err. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and then, you know, as I was like, it, after I was done with that record, then I, you know, went and had some deep ayahuasca experiences, really got a, got to high five source like never before. Um, and after that record came out, I, I had this, like, I don't know, I had this feeling of almost like, I almost went back in time to, by creating that record where I was like, oh, cool. I'm like, I'm unborn now. And I just sort of like, I'm here and. and I felt like that since then, musically. And so I haven't gone to create another record or even tried since then. What I have done is built up a bunch of modular synthesizer stuff because like, I realized that because I could begin to... That's right around the time I started the podcast was whenever I stopped, whenever I completed the last record. And so... I realized that oh I'm now expressing those concepts and those ideas but now people can actually understand them because I'm just talking about them as opposed to making music that is metaphorically or symbolically representing these philosophical ideas. And so then you know after I started my podcast things were kind of off to the races and honestly I just like I don't ha- I hardly have time or energy I guess it's more energy now to mm-hmm sit around and like work on a record because I take re- my records, you know, I'm a bit more of a, of a, uh, I, I maybe I'm precious or I take them seriously or whatever. However you want to look at it. Like I really go all in whenever I'm working on a record. Like it consumes me and all my time. And I really want to like take it there. Um, and so I wouldn't ever kind of just be messing with something in the background and all right, that looks good. And I, and I think I should be more like that, honestly. Um, but Uh, There's something, like, I respect about a a band or an artist that only puts out an album, like, every four or five years. But when they do, it better be a real piece of art, you know? But uh, um, but in that, I realized, like, well, I'm missing—there's a part of my brain that's made very happy by sounds, like, creating sounds, and just that voyage of, like— just brushing away the edge of the horizon and like you know have that feedback loop with sound and having it come forward and controlling it and creating these these spaces I really love that and so that's why you know I've I've had um, synthesizers you know Moe's and, and various things like that for a long time you know over 10 years but that's why I went and got uh, started building I built a nice modular system was so that I could make that like that's my dreaming space where I can just plug it in. I can fuck around and create the most awesome, you know, electronic, modular, crazy, weird, interstellar, intergalactic sounds. And I can just do it for the sake of doing it and really get enjoyment out of that without it having to like go towards something. Mm -hmm. Um, All of that said, uh, I have been feeling some of the urge again to create like another record. And so... I think I have like I think the concept has arised, and it's gonna be eventually some sometime whenever I have the space to do it uh I'll do more
1: yeah, you know there's something in that that rings real true to me about like so I was talking to Andrew Jones about his virtual reality app microdose, which I, have you ever are you familiar with this
0: I, I know him, but I don't yeah. know the app
1: so it's it's like rather than painting or sculpting something in virtual reality, you're emitting objects, you're spraying fascinating, you know, mutating particles of stuff, but they fade away. And something that Android said about his heart, mind and his motivation for that program is people get attached to the creative outcome. You know, this, this issue of impermanence that, forcing impermanence with them so that they're they're just there to simply appreciate what's happening as it's happening releases people from all of the critical self-talk and weird sort of ingrown neurotic bullshit of getting into tilt brush for example for the first time and trying to make something cool trying to make it last and it's funny how I ask you about your music because there is something about it's like going home for Thanksgiving and dealing with your family. And like I remember when I was a, a member of the integral philosophy community, that was something that got brought up a lot. Like Ken Wilber and other folks brought that up as the ultimate testing ground for the meditator. You know, right, like right. this is this is like where you go to find out whether you are able to maintain a, a sort of witnessing awareness as all of these deeply ingrained habits and programs arise. So I don't know. I think it's I, I would I would just be very curious because I think a lot of folks as they move into a the mastery of a new mode of being a lot of that which conditioned or characterized you know the skin of the last mode mm-hmm. gets left behind and there's something you know there's the uh, Katagiri roshi's book you must say something about how important it is to reach back into that which you were and express it through that which you are that yeah let me just say that i am enjoying in my abiding the experience of anticipating your next album. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, I love that idea, man. That's a really cool, cool notion. Um, I'm going to, the next album's going to be called home for Thanksgiving and everyone's gonna be like, What in the world? <laughs> That's a really, really cool idea. Uh, and it's interesting, man, is that it sort of has happened like hands have reached through time at me because of my music. And it's, it's, uh, Speaking of future fossils, man, it's uh, it's really kind of bizarre how, like, so one of my records called Pearls came out almost 10 years ago. I think it was, it might have been 10 years ago, 2009, 2010. And the amount of people that, like, that I admire or that I have, like, been fans of musically in my life that have reached out to me. And been like, hey, I love this album. Like, just cold. Like, there are people, these are like people that are really well known, like professional artists and musicians. They're like, hey, I just, you know, came across this or someone recommended it. And I've been listening to this on loop like for months or whatever. And it's got this feeling of timelessness and blah, blah, blah. That still happens. Like, people hit me up like that I really admire and I think are amazing. And like, it, it sort of tweaks my brain. It's like the, uh, for example, it's how like John Hopkins and I met. It was like the the uh, English, you know, electronic musician who's amazing.
1: Yeah, I love that guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like so, several years ago, he just like emailed me, and I he was like, hey, um, I know this is kind of weird, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I love your album Pearls. I've been touring and opening for Coldplay in, like, an arena tour. And I've been playing your album over, the like, the PA at the, as people, <laughs> like, enter the stadium. So they like, just know that there's, like, 30,000 people every night hearing your album as they file into their seats. And uh, then he's like, and I'm working on some music for meditation, not that I'm going to release, but I'm just working on it. Would you be interested in, would you give me some feedback on my music? Because I love your binaural beats and blah, blah, blah. And so then we just became friends and like started talking. And now we, you know, talk on WhatsApp all the time and have been fortunate enough to get to hang out in person and and stuff. And he's just become a good friend. And it's like, it's so weird that an album from 10 years ago you know, it created this doorway through which that relationship was born in the last couple of years and stuff like that continues to happen you know and so it is kind of weird that uh that yeah you're you're going home for thanksgiving dinner or thanksgiving dinner's coming for you man. you know what i mean
1: well there's a an, there's another d- dimension which is Well, there's always another dimension. But in this case, it is that it feels like very different music comes out of and for. Like, I like the way that you describe your uh, binaural beats as functional ambient music. Mm. That there's a way that it doesn't seem like you're going to get American pie from a Zen monastery. You know, and it's not to say that there aren't Zen folk songwriters out there. There are many. But, you know, the, the a state of consciousness preoccupied with narrative structure and a state of consciousness preoccupied with a sort of timeless appreciation of space and the body in space is like very different kinds of music. And, you know, ultimately, I guess we can really just use all of this as an analogy for this book, which has an ostensibly a structure that mm-hmm. it, it It is leading people through. But at the same time, when I look at at now is the way with a a magnifying lens from the very beginning, it's full of these little micro exercises and, and poetic passages that are very I was like kind of surprised at how. Gentle and sensuous, you are (laughs) as a writer. Um, That that it's very much like you talk in the first few pages about like eating a piece of chocolate, and how it's just like, yeah. I was just imagined you in like a flowy robe. You oh, know. perfect. And that's
0: how I, that's, that's how I want you to imagine me.
1: That's what you were writing in, right? So
0: it yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: But yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if that there's anything to address there specifically, but I do, I do really uh, acknowledge and appreciate the way that you're managing to, to hold that, that sense of there being, uh, the book is a serial thing and you're on a conveyor belt and you're taking someone through a point by point kind of program and at the same time this program uh is in its fine grain uh really like you know you talk about linking moments of presence together Mm -hmm. you know and i think that's a really it's really kind of a key reconciliation
0: yeah man well thank you for noticing that i really really appreciate that you're able to extract i mean not surprised of course but the fact that you caught Everything you just described is really cool to me because one you know you can't have a voice like mine and not be a sensuous, flowy writer, <laughs> but you know like i both of those things intentionally coexist uh the structure and the the flowiness the the smoothness the softness uh all of that stuff. I structured the thing intentionally almost like a business book, or it's like here are i'm going to like identify the the topic i'm going to talk about you know here's a real world example of how you I- encounter the the pain points of this thing the next step is how you solve those pain points and then the whole second half is like how can you work this and put this functional into your life b- build a bridge from like knowing to doing how can you actually like take this stuff into into living with you and i made it like that because So many books that are philosophical or deal with more intangible ideas or anything like that, Uh, man, so many of them, almost all of them, really, uh, just kind of like waffle around about ideas and they talk about the concepts, which is really fun. but. I wanted to make it where okay, let's talk about these concepts, but let's let's put them into action. Let's like let's build out a map of like how can you really grab these things and make them a part of your experience? And the feeling that you get from even like the eating the piece of chocolate thing, which I like that you picked that out. Like that's how I that's me. Like that's what my reality is like is like maybe what you felt when you read that? And so I wanted to like – because I feel calm and smooth and comfortable and very at ease in my body and like happy and peaceful pretty much – I mean most of the time, of course – I'm human and there are times where I I feel frustrated or stressed or like, you know, I I do have, I have a real habit of putting a lot of pressure on myself with things because I want to do my best and all that, you know, all that type of stuff. But my general sensibility is feeling relaxed and happy and excited and optimistic and, and smooth and whatever. And so I wanted to make that true essence of my being come through. And I wanted to read it to feel like that because man, you don't think James Brown felt the way and lived the way he? F- you feel whenever you hear those songs? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, damn straight. That's why he could make those songs, man. It's because that's how he lived. And that's like Hendrix could make the crazy, crazy sounds and like just do that thing because that's where he was at. That's who he was. And you could feel it in, in everything in the music. It's like, that's what makes all art great, in my opinion, is whenever you get like, somehow the creator of art can externalize that perspective that feeling of life of like humanity that we somehow know in some way because it's human but being able to to create and share that vibe with such uh, authenticity and so, so highly charged that you actually can add that to your map of experiences and you get to feel it that's like Uh, you know go listen to a samba song and you feel like ooh, I feel like Jorge Ben is one of my favorites Mm -hmm. you feel nice and beautiful and like you can't not that dude sings from the bottom of his toes man you know it's like you just smile when you hear his music and so it's really important for me to put that in there because it's kind of like not only is it you know how I feel but I, I look at it as like it's like a light in the cave but hey you know this is where this stuff got me and I want you to feel how I feel because I feel good, man. And and so that accompanied with a structure that's applicable, I think I thought would be really effective.
1: Listening to all of this. I wonder who is your teacher at this point and, or, or who are your teachers? Who are the, the people whose wisdom you find? And obviously you're getting to talk to a lot of them on your show or, there's another sense in which that kind of a question may be almost kind of the wrong question but i'm you know i'd I'd be curious what wells are you drawing your your wisdom from at this point in your practice
0: so i intentionally cut off reading or listening to podcasts or lectures by anyone who we all of us shared as a you know cultural teacher in these things uh uh, about a year after i started my podcast because i thought you know i have such a a respect and integrity for originality and genuine ideas that i decided to cut myself off from from those things because i didn't want it to accidentally bleed into what i was talking about or my ways of thinking because i was really curious like what who am i like what do i like i love alan watts I love Chogum trumpa taking Han, you know Ram, all the guys you know and then of course all the western philosophers and then the zen writers like suzuki and all that so i love all that stuff i grew up on all that but i thought like i need to stop like drinking from that fountain so i can discover who's in there like and what do i think how do i approach these things and what are the things that are meaningful to me and Yeah, so I I stopped intaking stuff from my quote-unquote teachers, like classical teachers, because I wanted to really forge my own path of originality. Um, And so I will say, and this will sound, you know, this might even sound corny, but I'll show you that it isn't. (laughs) My teachers nowadays, like honestly, are everyone else, like people every person and <clears throat> that can sound a little saccharine because it, it coming out of the mouth of some asshole that's being like everyone is my teacher you know you know you know what i'm saying but like i mean that in the sense of like the embodied experiential nature of everything you and i talk about all the time whenever you are observing how Another person that you're engaging with, or even you know just watching them live their life or like run their script as I like to think about it. if you're open enough and you're aware enough of what's happening, you can learn from how you are in onboarding someone else's behavior, how you're onboarding your engagement interaction with someone else, and how flexible and open you can be to hearing them for the fullness of what they are. And who they are. And I mean that in a good way. And letting all that come through and really being there and receiving what it is. Because, uh, you know, as you know, quite well, each of us are this unique, uh, we're all the same, but we all have this unique narrative of experience and like we're we have this leery called the bubble reality i love that term because it's like we're all looking around at our unique subjective experience of life we all share the same things for we're all getting that different impression so we all have like this uh this so i think in the book i call this i kind of refer this as like the museum of of ideas each of us are experiencing this whole artistic kind of co-creative world and if you can just like Get yourself out of the way a little bit and listen to that from people. You're constantly learning everything you need to know from a spiritual teaching.
1: Excellent. So, you know, I I like to end these with an invitation to play with some kind of imagined future listener. Sometimes it's somebody born after we're gone. Sometimes it's your own future self. It seems appropriate, given the rest of this conversation, to invite future... You you do this in the book, actually, and I was so tickled to see that you you invite the reader to imagine themselves 15 years older than they are now. And to really, yeah, imagine what your body and outlook will be like in 15 years. What will your face look like? What will the city you live in be like how might your perspective on the world be different and i was like you son of a bitch this is exactly <laughs> the shit that you were telling me not to do the first time i talked but like but it's it just it's just uh it was actually wonderful because I, it is kind of step one in lifting people out of that twitter now that really yeah. that little fine grain thing so if you'll indulge me in playing this game if you listen deeply if you invite 15 years older Corey into this conversation and listen real deeply. Uh, what does he tell you?
0: Mm. So, firstly, I think it's important to qualify the looking into the future of 15 year thing by saying that I preempt that in the book by inviting the person to think of who they were 15 years ago. Mm. And I think that's a really useful way to identify nowness by saying, who were you 15 years ago? What were you like? What did you look like? How did you see the world? What was the wattage on your perception? You know, what were your preferences? What was your living situation? What was technology and medicine and all that stuff like in the world? And then think about the difference between 15 years ago to today. So that gives the, an individual a real measurable sense of change because they've lived through it. And then I invite the person to say, okay, now that you've done that now think about 15 years forward. And by doing that exercise, it really sticks your feet in the future. (laughs) I mean, in the present and like makes you feel like, Oh wow. That's the wow of now. You know, that's like, Oh, Holy smokes. I'm, I'm this right now (laughs) and it's going to be different. And it was different before. Um, I think that, that in the future, man, if I think about that for me, I don't know, man, fifteen years from now, I'll be bald. <laughs> um, I envision and hope that I will just continue on this path, but be oh, I see myself being incredibly surprised at the incalculable difference of where I end up fifteen years from now. I'm thirty seven, so you know I'll be in my early fifties. And, um, my real hope, man, is that whenever that Corey in his early fifties shows up, that this thing has just gotten deeper and deeper, and I've figured out ways to continue my intention, like sharing what I'm trying to do, and that that's shown up in uh in the form of of perhaps more books, perhaps. However we communicate You know, in 15 years, whether it's our, our microchip processor, in our brains where we're all psychically connecting, maybe the, the binaural beat of the future in 15 years will be everyone has their chip turned on and I can send vibrational waves to everyone's consciousness like in real time and we can all tune it up and have like a group sync where we're all feeling delta consciousness, collective consciousness or something like that. But really... I just hope that uh, it would be such a, a blessing, and I don't mean that in a religious way. It would be such a, a divine gift if, if I could somehow make the same changes in myself from 15 years ago to today, an equal amount of that from now into the future. Nothing would make me more happy because with every passing day, man, I I love people more. My capacity to love people and myself grows. My insatiable curiosity about humanity, what it means to be human as a whole and as individuals, gets deeper and, and kinder and more earnest. And it would be an incredible gift for that to deepen because it means that I will be getting to the place that I believe is possible as uh, incarnated consciousness.
1: Right on. Does does 52-year-old Corey Allen have any parting words for all of us here in the present past.
0: He does. Yeah, he does. He says that, um, try and relax and everything's going to be all right. Well, all right, Corey's <laughs>
1: good talking to all of you. Um, this is now is the way an unconventional approach to modern mindfulness. This really is a, a book written with the kind of care and sensitivity that you have talked about in this call. It really is. I would say the narrow end of the wedge and it's going to reach people I think who otherwise might find it really difficult to bootstrap themselves into these practices. And for that, I thank you, sir. And uh, it's been a pleasure to have you back on the show,
0: man. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. And uh, I just, I love, Every time we get to talk, I love talking to you. I love the way you think and the you know all of the different ways that you make me think about things and um yeah you're it's good to it's a, you're, the world is better for having a Michael Garfield scurrying around inside of it. so thank you for that thank you for taking the time to read the book and have me on the show and uh, I already look forward to next time
1: right on thanks for listening to future fossils this podcast is a part of the mind pod network along with numerous other excellent programs go to mindpodnetwork.com and subscribe to them all if you'd like to help support future fossils consider giving this show a five-star itunes review or sharing it with someone you think might appreciate these conversations for more episodes show notes copious extras including music art the future fossils coloring book and book club and more visit patreon.com slash michael garfield